Willkommen, welcome to Henning Knows Best. Give it up for Otto Kuhnle. Er ist Herr Kuhnle, the funniest man from Düsseldorf and the Fatherland's foremost Jodelmeister. Uh, and more from him in a little while. Well, let me briefly introduce myself. My name is Henning. I am the German comedy ambassador to the United Kingdom. And I know there are all those stereotypes, but let me get one thing straight. We Germans like a laugh, just like you Brits. We really, really do. Honestly, we really do. The only difference is we Germans laugh once the work is done, <laughs> whilst you laugh instead of. <laughs> doing any meaningful work. <laughs> and that is the main cultural difference. And now for the next six weeks, I've been kindly asked to explore aspects of British society. And today's topic is the class system. British class system is very different from Germany, where everybody's doing incredibly well. <laughs> We used to have Barone and Kaiser and Großherzog and Kurfürsten and whatnot, but all these were destroyed, along with most of our infrastructure, by foreign aggressors. <laughs> Thank you very much. And today we have shiny new autobahns of social mobility on which everyone can speed along to their heart's content. But it wasn't always like this. Some of you might remember a documentary about Germany during the hard times. It was called Auf Wiedersehen, Pet. <laughs> uh, in 1984, my hard-working father said to me, Entschuldigen Sie, wie komme ich am besten zum Bahnhof? Which roughly translates as, Son, emigrate. There's nothing for you in Germany. All the manual labor jobs in the Rhineland have been taken by chirpy, lovable, violent Geordies. <laughs> who are refugees from Margaret Thatcher's war against laziness. <laughs> which is another war you started and we had to pay for. We didn't get rid of the English until reunification when all them Eastern European builders snapped up the jobs for nothing. Just glad not to be making things out of asbestos and their own blood. <laughs> But we're not here to discuss Germany. That's the Daily Mail's job. <laughs> And we're here to discuss the British class system that caused so much turmoil. The labels lower, middle and upper class first appeared during the Industrial Revolution. In the early days, it was broadly speaking defining who owned the donkey, who walked the donkey and who was the donkey. <laughs> 
And since then, a whole army of publicly funded sociologists have researched the topic and identified groups I don't believe for a second are distinguishable. Uh, whole books are devoted to comparing the upper, lower, lower, upper middle class <laughs> to the upper, lower, upper middle, lower, middle, lower, middle class <laughs> to the upper, lower, upper, middle, lower, middle, lower, upper, upper, middle, middle, lower, upper, <laughs> lower, upper, middle, lower, upper, middle, upper, upper, lower, <laughs> middle, upper, lower, lower, upper, middle, lower, lower, middle class. <laughs> Those class books have never been read by anyone, yet they do play a very important role in modern-day Britain. The middle class have them on the bookshelf to look sophisticated, the lower class uses them to prop up their 50-inch plasma TVs. <laughs> and the aristocracy uses them to get the fire going. <laughs> and one thing is for sure, life in Britain is all about knowing your place. And let's start at the bottom, the lower class. The lower class has a lot in common with the upper class in that they are mostly unemployable, <laughs> make virtually no tax contribution, have a taste for Burberry and shotguns. <laughs> and don't need to consider if they can afford another child. And they also both live in grandly named estates that are falling apart around their ears. <laughs> they are both hated by the middle class who never actually see any upper or lower class people unless they watch Country House Rescue or The X Factor. <laughs> which they do relentlessly. Many of the lower class don't go to school because if they do, they run into Jamie Oliver uh, who will be taking their chips off them. Uh, force them to meet Rolf Harris. So as far as I can tell, as an outsider, the lower and upper classes rule the country between them. The upper class spends most of its time saying, Oi, where's me martini? And the lower class spends most of its time saying, Oi, where's me benefits? And the middle class spends most of its time saying, I'm sorting both those things out for you now. <laughs> Sorry about the wait. <laughs> However, this cosy picture is confused by a fourth class, the so-called working class an ancient term once referring to the class that worked. <laughs> uh, these days, the term refers to the long-term unemployed that talk about how hard their dads used to work. <laughs> and the historic working class has a special place in the British psyche, a bit like the red squirrel, or <laughs> Queen Mum's older sister, Dame Vera Lynn. <laughs> There always be an England where there 
all your opinion now. Awesome. <laughs> Just like the red squirrel, the working class used to be everywhere. But now inhabits only the far north and the Isle of Wight. <laughs> All the same, every Brit likes to imagine that his father was a working-class hero, in much the same way that every Frenchman likes to think that his granddad fought in the resistance. <laughs> now, who am I to set either of you straight? And the working class were a bunch of cheeky, cheerful, dirty-faced geezers who did back-breaking work for no money, knew their place and would be spending all day saying things such as Lovely jubbly, oi oi savaloi, and have a banana. Despite no one ever seen a banana. Hard as it may to believe, but in those days the working class was too busy working to hunt for pedophiles or buy tracksuits from Sports Direct. And the historic working class is fondly remembered by the middle class who wants to bring them back along with white Christmases and hanging. <laughs> and now we're moving on to the middle class, and the middle class is so huge that it has turned into warring factions. Broadly speaking, there are three subsections. The lower middle class, who read the Daily Mail. The middle middle class, who read the Guardian. And the upper middle class, who read the Financial Times. The only real difference between them is who they blame for taking all their money. The lower middle class thinks the poor and the immigrants are taking all their money. The middle middle class thinks the upper middle class is taking all their money. The upper middle class thinks the taxman is taking all their money. All of them have houses and credit cards they can't afford, which are taking all their money. <laughs> My parents always taught me, they always said, Henning, you must not spend more than you earn. Then I came over here and realised there's a different economic rule here in the UK. <laughs> and the one economic rule in the UK is, you must not worry. <laughs> and once the interest payments on the credit card exceeds your actual income, you must not worry and get yourself another credit card. <laughs> That'll be interest-free for the first six months and will give you enough breathing space to treat yourself to a luxurious holiday abroad. <laughs> and once the whole system collapses, you must go camping in central London and blame bankers for treating you like a grown-up <laughs> and letting you make your own ill-just decisions. Newspapers keep talking about the need for a middle-class revolution. But like all revolutions, this one would turn in on itself very quickly. Before very long, there would be a guillotine in Trafalgar Square, surrounded by stalls selling free-range burgers and fair-trade coffee. <laughs> and what remains of... German aristocracy is now living comfortably in Britain as the royal family. <laughs> They're as German as the Mini Cooper. <laughs> A 
And just like Jiminy Cooper, they're loved by all, as could be seen at last year's royal wedding, when in excess of one million people lined the streets of London to watch overprivileged people drive non-competitively. <laughs> Worldwide, more than two billion people watched the wedding on the goggle box, uh, proving there is nothing on telly everywhere. <laughs> uh, seeing their exalted uh, position, it's almost ironic that the core quality of the royal family is its common touch. Prince William, for example, is, is a regular guy who just so happens to be president of the English Football Association. <laughs> He's also a big supporter of Aston Villa. It's a bit rubbish. <laughs> I mean, Aston Villa, they're from the Midlands. I mean, there is nothing wrong with the Midlands. Well, there is. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> and what I don't like about Prince William supporting Aston Villa is that I think Prince William should have the decency to support his local side, Hanover. That's <laughs> the very reason why Prince Harry is so much better liked in Germany, because Prince Harry, he isn't afraid to don the good old uniform every now and then. <laughs> Standing up for his family history. <laughs> well, other than the royal family, it's very difficult to say who else is upper class. Are the royals the only upper-class people in Britain? Well, let's find out and welcome to the stage a man that should be able to shed some light on that mystery, the social and cultural observer and author of the official Sloan Ranger handbook, Peter York! <laughs> Very good. Take a seat. Thank you. And you too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're patronising me very well. Uh, and so far from what you've heard, is a fairly accurate description of the class oh, system? God, I thought it was brilliant. Do you live out of London? What postcode? <laughs> N8. Oh, come on. N8? Well, it doesn't happen. The full force of the global jackboot does not fall on N8. I'm sorry about the N8 thing. I didn't... <laughs> Don't hold it against yes. you. No. Uh, Where is it? <laughs> what did you make of David Cameron saying he's middle class? I mean, if he's middle class, is there still an upper class? Or is it just in, foreign? In polls, nobody says they're upper class. People who are upper class are terribly aware of the more upper class a person. They're thinking... I'm not really upper class. I'm not, I'm not a duke. I'm only a baronet. Come on, you know. So, Peter, are you saying if we were to ask the Queen, she would say she's uh, middle class? Uh, I think she thinks of herself as middle class. I think she thinks of her, herself as representing us all. <laughs> well, people of uh, yes. thinking they represent everyone, usually yes. they're dictators, aren't yes. they? <laughs> <laughs> Is it us foreigners being obsessed with the British class system yes. more than the Brits themselves? Is when that you, true? When they do research around the world about Britain, that's the first thing that comes up. And it's because of the royal family. And also because of our media industry, Downton Abbey. It's also the only way it's Essex. <laughs> yes. that, that is completely wonderful stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't sell abroad like Downton. It's for us. 
laugh it's about us it's, it's about us yes and the point about the only ways Essex people is they're really quite well off those are not the industrious poor are they well they're certainly not industrious <laughs> <laughs> no but if you were to go abroad were to introduce yourself at a party say in Dusseldorf uh, where Kuhnle is from you were to go yes. to a party in Dusseldorf would your class background be part of your your self-description or your, your understanding of yourself in Dusseldorf, is there any time I've had a major robbery from the car? <laughs> so, what, tell us, what went missing? I tell you, God, it was lovely. I think about it, this years later. Uh, it was a crocodile suitcase. <laughs> it's now swimming in the Rhine. <laughs> There is the idea abroad that essentially in Britain you all live in castles. Yeah? And you get up in the morning and go fox hunting. And then late at night, birch your servant. And, you know, for the joy of it. What demonstrates most what class someone is from or in? Well, I always think it's their bank balance. So that means that John Terry is upper class? Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, so well, shedding some light on the mystery that yeah. is the class yeah. system. Please, everybody, give it up one more time for the fantastic Peter York. <laughs> is there still a class system? I mean, after this conversation, I'm just as unsure as I was before. I mean, is class still relevant? Got Tony Blair. He dreamed of a classless Britain and try to level the playing field by sending everyone to university. But as anyone who understands basic economics uh, knows the effect of everyone having a degree is to make them all worthless. Uh, there got to be failure for success to be possible. And it can't be a situation where everyone's got success, because that's then not success. That's then just the norm. You know, of the 2.7 million unemployed in Britain today, 2.3 million have a BA with honours in film and media studies. <laughs> and a millstone of student debts round their neck. This leads to the horrible situation that even educated youngsters feel the need to go on the X Factor. Uh, only to find themselves temporarily too well known to take the bus, but still too poor to take a cab. <laughs> the philanthropist Charles Booth, he tried to chart... London's classes with his poverty map in 1898, colouring the houses and streets in colours that represented social groups, such as good ordinary earnings or vicious semi-criminal. <laughs> I would argue today money has much less impact on a person's class, because today he would need to paint a map in hundreds of different colours, representing feckless graduate with no people skills, <laughs> affluent lap dancer, <laughs> or terrifying, good-for-nothing, upper-class, corrupt businessman without a business. <laughs> and that's Prince Andrew's house. <laughs> and class is betrayed by the little things in life. The one surefire way of showing upper-middle-class affluence was frequent consumption of the after-eight. <laughs> yeah, but like university education today, everyone is at it with disastrous consequences. 
Now, just the other day, did I see someone eaten after eight on a bus? <laughs> At 6pm. <laughs> In a blatant breach of the clearly specified eating instructions. <laughs> now, what is class? Is it a sense of community? Traditionally, the most equal part of the country remained the north of England, with its strong sense of community spirit that goes back through Britain's industrial past all the way to the feudal times. What I'm trying to say, it's so nice up north. Now, I tell all southerners to go up north and experience the great northern community spirit firsthand. We just travel across the Pennines on a train, say from Preston over to York, is beautiful countryside. But you'll only understand what the great northern community spirit is all about when the train goes through any of the towns or villages on the way. Because from nowhere, there'll be loads of fly tipping. Huh? <laughs> and there'll be fridges, freezers, washing machines, the lot. And there are walls and fences to the right and the left of the train tracks. Yet beside the train tracks, there they are, thousands of unwanted white goods. Uh, took me a long time to understand the cultural significance of those abandoned household appliances. But, I mean, every single one of them is a moving testament to the great northern community spirit. Yeah, it is, because have you ever tried to lift a washing machine <laughs> on your own? <laughs> Ooh, I can't get this over the fence. Can anybody give me a hand, please? <laughs> and then the whole village comes running, and they get it over the fence, and it hurtles down towards the tracks, and they rejoice in their great northern community spirit, <laughs> and setting fire to an abandoned car. Yeah, it's the north of England, united in antisocial behaviour. <laughs> Devon in bloom. Who needs that? Lancashire in tatters. <laughs> and that's the accolade you want your village to win. Let's not forget, Britain offers everyone the opportunity to live their dream. Because I came over all those years ago to work in marketing. And then one night I walked past the pub where it said, tonight, stand-up comedy. So I went in, had a butcher's, uh, really enjoyed what I saw. I picked up the phone the next morning and got my first few open mic gigs in. And that's the beauty of life in Britain. You can really live your dream. If you want to become a stand-up comedian, you can start tomorrow. Brilliant. No one's going to stop you. Equally, if your dream is being a plumber, <laughs> you can start tomorrow. <laughs> and no one's going to stop you. You can live your dream. Brilliant. I mean, obviously, your customers, they'll be knee-deep in feces in no time. <laughs> well, you can live your dream. And Germany is a far more restrictive society. Of course, in Germany, you have to go through the tedious process of an apprenticeship <laughs> until you know what you're doing. Henning, uh, that's why you're working here, huh? Yes, yeah. <laughs> So, when Kuhn, we were talking about dreams and ambitions. Yes, we are talking about, and uh, by pure chance, I wrote a song about dreaming. 
Everybody's got a secret dream and hopes that it comes true. No matter who you are, a homeless drunk or a well-known star, everybody has their dream, even if only cake with cream. The German dream all year, it's a schnitzel with a nice cold beer. None of us want what we already have The grass is always greener So we keep on believing Ho oh, oh, ho, that's called dreaming The bald-headed man wants to have some hair When he gets some hair, he wants an affair For every pound in your pocket, you want two A beautiful girl wants an ugly tattoo I've had a wish for a long, long time It comes deep from this old heart of mine It's been my dream for my whole life It's not kids, not money, not even a five But my fantasy is so unrealistic At least if you believe the statistic Just one thing I've always wanted to do And that's to yodel on radio too <laughs> Achieved this dream, all that's left is to yodel for the queen. Wunderbar. <laughs> And we've learned loads today about the British class system, haven't we? It does exist, but it doesn't matter. Except for when it matters, which is quite often. Except for when it doesn't. So, there's lots of classes, but everyone is middle class. People are aspirational, yet lazy. So they play down their background. People have manners, except for the ones they don't, and they all like their after eight. But no one's eaten one since the 1980s. <laughs> oh, it's all too complicated, trying to explain the class system in 26 minutes. How misguided. I give up. That's it for now. Tune in next week when I'll explain the meaning of life. <laughs> That was Henning Knows Best, hosted by Henning Wen, that's me, and featured Peter York, the fabulous Otto Kuhnle, and was written by the cast and Ken Valentine and Liam Malone. It was produced by Paul Russell and was an open mic production for BBC Radio 2. <laughs>